The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan. So welcome along to this special edition of the Long Haul Podcast, where we're going to preview Jason Quigley's world title fight Friday night in New Hampshire against Demetrius Bubu Andrade for the WBO World Middleweight title. We'll also uh, look into uh, the possibility of McConnell fighting a double header in Paddy's Day uh, next year with Katie Taylor. That will be some uh, historic. That will be a historic event for sure. And I've on the line with me now is Gavin Casey, who I consider one of the best. Irish boxing journalists currently uh, active at the moment. Gavin has uh, reported on uh, several boxing fights here in the US before the pandemic struck. Myself and Gavin were at a number of uh, Katie Taylor fights. And um, so Gavin, give Gavin a follow on at Gavin Casey. He writes for the42.ie, one of the top uh, sporting websites in Ireland. So Gavin, thanks very much for coming on the Long Haul Podcast. Nice one, Mike. I don't know how you got through that with a straight face, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> For the record, also, Gavin is a, car- a fellow Cork man, and, uh, but he's from a, maybe a, a more posher side of, uh, of uh, Cork than myself. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of kilometres in it. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, we've got Gavin on. He's uh, one of the top journalists, as I said, so we're going to kick, we're going to uh, drive straight into it here now. So, Gav, uh, Jason Quigley's 30 years of age, uh, 20 fights to his name, 20 professional fights. It's going to be obviously the biggest fight of his career fighting for a title. Um, it's going to be uh, now or never for him, basically. But you're just going to touch on maybe his record to date and uh, maybe what uh, what, kind, what kind of a style of a fighter he is and his like his amateur record going back the last uh, maybe 10, 15 years. Yeah, I suppose he would have blown into mainstream consciousness around 2013, Mike. And at the time, he became the number one ranked uh, amateur middleweight in the world. He won silver at the World Championships. He was a European champion. And at that stage... It, was kind of bold from the blue success in a sense because it's rarely you see a guy ascend to like elite global level so quickly or as quickly as he did it and then he kind of rose to notoriety or at least he, he turned a few heads in the states and off the back of those medals then he turned a professional with golden boy boxing yeah. uh he signed with golden boy promotions who were founded by oscar de la hoya who for a spell in his own professional career was a, an incredibly talented middleweight in his own right and he had a little bit of everything. All action fighter, had a little bit of pop in either hand, decent defensively. He kind of just um, was a very rounded boxer and a lot was expected of him then in his professional career as he made that transition to a uh, fair bit of hype back home. It's not too often that we have somebody like De La Hoya earmarking or pinpointing an Irish fighter and going, I'm going to bring this guy to the top. And from that point onwards, it's been a little bit more rocky. And if his ascent as an amateur was almost overnight or it felt overnight, this process toward or of him getting towards a world title opportunity has felt almost protracted. There have been a lot of road bumps along the way, including a, a career defeat, a couple of his sole career defeat a couple of years ago to Toriano Johnson. And there have been large, probably, spells of his professional career in which he has flattered to deceive, just performatively or, or in terms of uh, what he's been able to produce in the ring. For a long time, there would have been question marks over his gas tank and stamina, you know. And it was never a case of, oh, he was cutting corners and training or he didn't have the, the aerobic capacity to fight for 10, 12 rounds. It was always, as he later explained, a mental thing. And uh, that he f- 
seems to have addressed with Andy Lee, his trainer, in his corner in recent months or over the last 12 or 18 months. Uh, his last performance, which opened the door to this world title opportunity, was a, a very good victory against Shane Mosley Jr. in a close fight, but quickly actually, conversely to what we'd seen of him in nearly every fight prior, grew into it as the fight went on. And where you'd usually start to question, oh, there's quickly of the legs here, he actually exploded into life and seemed to enjoy it and took over the fight really down the stretch. So hopefully, ahead of this fight against Demetrius Andrade, where he's going to need... Uh, <laughs> more than we've ever seen of him before, that issue has been addressed. And uh, as you say, or as you said at the top of the show, it, it, it does feel like a bit of a case of now and ever for him. 30 years of age, yeah, but it's more so the fact that if you don't put up a good showing here, based on what you've produced in the past, there probably isn't going to be a demand for you to even re-enter the fr like fringe contention, you know? Um You've got to produce something here on the zone in a main event in front of 10,000 people against an American champion that makes people want to see you again or would make a promoter uh, view you as uh, a viable contender or a challenger to one of their champions again. So, um, yeah, now or never in a lot of ways, even if he wasn't to win and if he was to somehow just perform to his own capability and put on a good show or, or do himself justice, at least I would think he'd remain in the picture if he was to get completely outclassed or blown out of it, which isn't inconceivable, Andrade is a great fighter, then yeah, it's, it's probably a case of never then, Mike, you know? And uh, I think he's, he's very much cognizant of that himself. Yeah, he's um, a very likable character, isn't he? He's a very softly spoken for a boxer, you know, there's no bravado about him, but I quite take it to him. He's very, a very affable character. You know, there's, no, been no, there's never really any trash talking with him against uh, Mosley Jr. He called out Andrade afterwards. It was almost like uh, asking him rather than, you know, the old, uh, you know, WWE style, but uh, he got the fight in the end. But uh, I, I listened to his interviews, very softly spoken, seems to be a well-balanced individual and uh, seems to know what he's doing. Uh, he's got a good back backroom team there. As you said, Andy Lee is in his corner, of course, a previous WBO middleweight champion. I'm not sure if Andy Lee will travel again, as I don't think he travelled against uh, the Mosley Jr. I think Wayne McCullough was in, was in his corner. And uh, not sure if Wayne is going to be there again Friday, but of course, uh, and Tyson, he's been in camp with Tyson Fury. So he's got all, everything seems, around him seems to be uh, top level. Everything, everything around him has been professional, top notch. I think he's fully prepared. He said he's better off fighting for the Titan now than maybe two or three years ago. So maybe this will be the, t the, the chance that uh, we'll see him perform to the best of his, best of his ability. Yeah, it's well put. And I think that it's actually... From his point of view, not only in terms of the professional setup he has around him, which, as you say, is, is almost second to none, at least in terms of um, training staff. I think Andy will make the trip. I haven't had it confirmed, but just because the restrictions over in America have been eased since, was it the 8th, the 8th of November or something along those yeah. lines, he shouldn't need the national interest exemption that he was unable to get for Fury's fight and for Quigley's fight before that. You mentioned Wayne McCullough stepped in. Jason was telling me a few weeks ago at a press event in Dublin that he'd love for McCullough to come up again and just help out if he's around. But uh, I'm not exactly sure if, if that's going to come to fruition. Uh, yeah, as you say, uh, his professional setup around him is almost second to none, at least in terms of his trainer and Andy Lee. He's co-trainer to the heavyweight champion of the world and has made a marked difference to what we've seen of Tyson Fury in uh, his last couple of fights. Um, I think Andy will be able to travel. I haven't had that confirmed, but because the restrictions in America have have uh, eased since what was it like the 8th of November I don't think Andy requires that national interest exemption to get over there this time around uh, that precluded him from going to Fury Wilder 3 
And as you mentioned, Quigley's last fight with Mosley Jr. as well, where Wayne McCullough stepped in. I think uh, Jason was telling me that he'd love for Wayne to come up again anyway, even if Andy is there and just help out and be around him. They obviously got on very well last time. They used to live only down the road from each other where Jason was based in the States. But even outside of that sort of professional uh, paradigm, if you like, we're of a similar age, Jason and I, and I've been interviewing, interviewing him for probably five or six years or however long I've been doing this. So it's always been interesting kind of sharing notes, if you like, and um, seeing where the other, where each other is in, in life, generally speaking. And again, that's probably been a bit of a protracted process for him to get to where he is now, just mentally, psychologically. He's had uh, familial issues in the past. He did this brilliant piece with Vincent Hogan uh, earlier this week in which he detailed the fallout or the separation he endured with his father. Um, there have been other things, you know, I, his girlfriend or his partner, April, uh, two of them are, are engaged now, actually. She's his fiance, but I think for a while they, they weren't together. Just little things like that where he was living in the States with nobody over there with him. I remember tell, he, him telling me about three or four years ago while he was there, like, this is all great, like, but if you've nobody to share it with, like, what good is it, you know? And he was living a very kind of solitary existence. And I don't think he fancied it in the end. I mean, he clearly didn't. And he relocated to Sheffield. And eventually back to Donegal, where he just seems more happy. He just seems more content and, and sure of himself. So, as he was saying, you, you kind of uh, uh, quoted him a minute ago about this suits him better now than it would have a couple of years ago. I think it's more to do with where he finds himself in life generally. Um, when I was speaking to him just before he flew off, <laughs> he gave this like this quote, which in normal circumstances you'd actually find alarming, where he was talking about like, like if I don't win, like so what, you know. And usually you hear a fighter say that. Well, actually, usually you don't hear a fighter say that at all. But when you do, on the off chance, you're like, Jesus Christ, is his head gone? Does he, you know? But really with Jason, it was more so, he's a, as you say, he's a very kind of articulate guy. He's, he's very introspective. He has an eye on the bigger picture without necessarily losing focus on this fight or what it means. It's more so he has perspective. He has perspective that a lot of fighters wouldn't have. It's a trade or a profession in which you have to be so singular and, and tonal visioned or single-minded. And I think he is single-minded when he needs to be and will be on Friday night or, or has been towards Friday night. But ultimately, after that win, lose or draw, he knows he has a decent life to go back to, which is a nice little position to be in and a position that would be the envy of most fighters. Yeah, he was in L.A., I think, for for a time, Gavin, wasn't he? And I think he was uh, he broke his his hand at one stage, and I think it was a year. He, I, it was a tough year for him there when he wasn't doing anything with a broken hand. But um, let's move on to we'll preview the actual fight now in a, in a moment. I just want to touch on uh, Demetrius Bubu Andrade. He's uh, slightly older than uh, Jason. He's thirty three. He's thirty and old professional record. Um, while uh, Jason was calling out Andrade. Andrade was calling out Canelo a couple of months ago. So Canelo is after the big fish, the top four or five in the division. And uh, he can't seem to get that fight. And Jason has touched on it in his interviews. Uh, he said, uh, it was an interview I, I saw yesterday. He said uh, that Andrade is a, a low risk, uh, high risk, low reward um, fighter. And can you speak to that and why some of the top, the, the top tier guys, maybe the top four or five tier guys are trying to avoid him. And of course, he uh, he appeared at uh, Canelo's uh, post-match interview, I think a couple of months ago, and made a show just to just to try and get the, the fight, but it hasn't materialised. But uh, why is he such an, a difficult fighter to fight against? I know he's southpaw, of course. Yeah, I actually think it's less to do with his style or less to do with his ability, to be honest, Mike, and more to do with his marketability or lack thereof. Yeah. I think if you were to put a... Uh, call a spade a spade he's kind of in the who needs them club even though he is a champion you can 
say, well, why not take him on and look to uh, rip the belt off him? But he is fairly awkward. And and with him, generally speaking, I think in terms of the, the kind of American boxing context, uh, is, he, is he worth fighting for the sake of like a potential defeat on your own record for little gain other than the title? Like, again, you can make the case that, yeah, of course it would be, but he's just not the most compelling of characters. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and that's, listen, that sounds like a real character assassination, but like not everybody can be some, um, the most charismatic fella in the room, the way Canelo is becoming, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, it's more a case of them, as in the other top guys that you mentioned around 160 pounds, just not really been bothered with them. Um, I think a lot of them would beat him, to be totally honest. And I think especially at 33, as you mentioned, at a stage in his career where it has been rumoured a couple of times that maybe he's struggling to make 160 pounds to begin with. We'll obviously find that out on uh, Thursday. Um, like, it, I, I'd say he's probably not even the fighter that he was about two years ago, if I'm totally yeah. honest. I've seen him in the flesh and, and he was, a, I wouldn't say he was exciting, but he had a little bit of pop and he fought well for 12 rounds. I think in his last fight against Liam Williams, there were probably chinks in his armor that were exposed a little bit, or at least it was proven that he is hittable and that really he probably doesn't have kind of game-changing power. He, he, he tends to drop guys without finishing them quite often, or at least that's happened three or four times uh, in his career as a world champion. So, uh, I, I, you know, when we were talking a minute ago about how this opportunity is coming at the right time for Jason Quigley, I think that applies to Quigley's life, but also potentially within the context of Andrade's own career and his age and just maybe his body or his, his uh, uh, anatomy, you know, like the, the fact that maybe this might be, we don't know, but maybe this might be one fight too far at 160 and maybe he fades down the stretch. Like these little things can just happen out of nowhere and suddenly a champion no longer resembles a champion, you know? And it's not something that Quigley is gambling on. He's just going in there thinking, I'm going to give him hell for... 12 rounds and if I'm better than I'm a better than if I'm not I'm not but it's something that I think he needs if he's going to win the fight that's the reality of it because I think Andrade now is still faster than Jason Quigley he might have more power than Jason Quigley that, that's probably you know six and one half dozen the other there in power stakes like he's probably a better boxer as a professional um, he was a very good amateur in his own right he was a world amateur champion so Quigley needs something some kind of uh <laughs> act of God or, or some sort of uh, conditional thing to work in his favor, probably a couple of those things to work in his favor in order to narrow the gap on paper between them. It, like, if you ask me, does Quigley have the power to stop Demetrius Andrade? Like, I don't think so. Does Quigley have the boxing ability to, to outbox him over 12 rounds and actually get a decision in America? Like, I, I doubt it. But again, if Andrade is fading, and there have been suggestions that he that he is, and not just ahead of this fight, I'm not talking about Irish people suggesting this, but you know, people in America, um, maybe the stars just align, you know, and and I think that's what we're reliant on as Irish fans this time around. It, it is a bit of a hail mary job, but it's been done. So, um, just to put the, the fight in perspective or in context for people, Andrade is ten to one on with the bookies, and Quigley is a massive outsider at seven to one. So it's really it is an uphill battle. It's a kind of a David versus Goliath type of thing. But Gavin, we've been there before. Was it about two years ago? We sat in Madison Square Garden when uh, Anthony Joshua was defeated by uh, Andy Ruiz, and we were up the press box writing our report on Katie Taylor. And next thing into the third round, and we saw one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. So 
there is a chance there for for Jason to to cause the upset. And uh, you're saying that his best approach is maybe to go the distance with him and probably maybe finish him off in the last couple of rounds, if possible. Would that be his approach going into this fight? Yeah, that'd be that'd be the dream. I think, um, like to to refer to what you're saying there about uh, Ruiz Joshua, even more recently than that, and, and I don't think either of us were there, but last weekend uh, in Sheffield, you saw on a matching card, which this is on Friday night, uh, Kiko Martinez shocking the world with a, a victory over Kid Galahad a few weeks prior. Again on a matching card, Sander Martin, this Spaniard who the Americans on the zone had paid absolutely no credence to came over and beat a four-way world champion in Mikey Garcia, probably the upset of the year, or one of them. And actually, Eddie Hearn, who promotes Andrade, has been taking upset defeats all year. Like There's been Josh Warrington before that and a few more, James Tennyson, our own, um, uh, getting shot by uh, Giovanni Straffone. So, uh, yeah, like ups- upsets happen in terms of how quickly he approaches it. I think he needs a very distinct plan, and I actually don't know what that plan is. And that's, that's kind of a, a problem in my own mind. Now, I'm not some sort of tactical mastermind the way an Andy Lee is, and Andy obviously learned as well, by the way, from a, a very good tactician in Adam Booth and potentially a, a great one in uh, in uh, Emmanuel Stewart, excuse me. And uh, I think he needs like to, yeah, like I think he needs a distinct plan wherein he actually takes Andrade out of his comfort zone. And he said that on the record, like he needs to do that. But he, uh, that's easier said than done. Like it's a nice soundbite, but I actually yeah. personally don't know how he do it because Ultimately, like, yeah, you can rip him to the body or you can be try to be elusive for six rounds and, uh, you know, chopping wood and eventually the treetop is over towards the end of the fight, whatever. But, like, he's going to be there and he's going to be hitting you back pretty hard. He's a uh, <laughs> fairly slick fighter in his own right, probably more slick than Quigley is. So that's where, obviously, Andy Lee comes in, you know. Um, he definitely had got the Fury Wilder fights right. And that was with uh, Sugar Hill Stewart, who, again, is a, is a disciple, a nephew of Manny Stewart. But um, I, I'm trying to figure out where they go with this one, where it's not just a case of Quigley trying his best and trying to do what he's good at, which is, you know, power punching and uh, punching in twos and threes and just being a, a tough bastard for all intents and purposes. Like, that's not going to be enough. And I'd love to know what they're thinking in terms of how they actually add a string or two to Quigley's mm. bow. And, and detract from Andrade but I actually don't have the answer as to how to do that mm. and of course hopefully maybe he's got his eye on Canelo maybe he's not uh, maybe he's taking his eye off the ball for, for Friday night and Jason can ca- capitalise there's no reason why he can't absolutely yeah. that's another little intangible potentially because he from his point of view he's been fighting guys for the last two three years who don't belong in the ring with him and you you know for sure that's the way he's thinking about Quigley as well. If he just looks at Quigley's CV, I'm sure he's seen him fight live before and probably struggle with guys who he himself believes he would have had out of there in a couple of rounds. So absolutely, it's always possible somebody takes the eye off the ball. And like again, it's one of those little conditional things that you hope uh, amalgamates or, or conspires against Andrade on the night. Yeah, and uh, Jason has been in, uh, he landed in Boston, first of all, in Massachusetts uh, over, over the weekend and was doing a bit of, doing a tour for the last couple of days, trying to rally the Irish support there in Boston. And then he's uh, after making his way up north to New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire. Of course, the, the fight is on the SNHU arena from eight, but that will be the early hours it'll be on. But um, we're hoping that there'll be big Irish turnout. But for people in, it, for Irish people who wouldn't be um, familiar with the, the, the East Coast here, 
New York, you'd have a big boxing following, a big Irish uh, population here. It's very awkward to get to if you're going to be going up uh, from New York on a Friday. It means taking probably the day off work. So maybe a large cohort of the Irish fans will be coming from Boston. But hopefully he'll have a, he'll have a big following there coming up from Boston uh, Friday night. Yeah, big time. I think, uh, what is it, like uh, the, whole area, the whole region of six states is called New England, really, isn't it? And yeah. you've got a, a huge Irish population in most of those areas. But equally, I know that Chris McNulty, who's uh, his media guy or, or his um, publicist, was telling us a few weeks ago that there was a bar in New York. I can't remember the name of it now. I'm not, or maybe he didn't give us a name, but they had basically advertised uh, sending a bus up to uh, Manchester for the fight. And within an hour, 60 seats were gone. They had to get another really? one. So I, I actually think there will be a bit of a contingent coming from New York, but it's probably people who would have organized it a few weeks ago and, and taken that day off, actually, as you mentioned there. Quigley's confident that he'll have more Irish people in there than yeah. will be the case for Andrade. Now, Andrade's from Providence in Rhode Island, which is a neighbouring state again. So I'm sure he'll have plenty of his own fans there. But you know the Irish, like, um, <laughs> we like a cause and we especially like an underdog story or even, yeah. Um, yeah. again, a bit of a Hail Mary shot. So I, I reckon it could be 50-50, 60-40 in Quigley's favour. It's going to be raucous either way. And hopefully listeners to this podcast and uh, anybody you, who you know around New York... Um, Makes a trip if they can, you know. Get up, get up to New Hampshire, get up and follow Jason Quigley. Hopefully it'll be a historic night for, for Irish boxing and he can uh, he can get the job done. And that's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast or visit our website, thelonghaulpodcast.com. Please like, rate and subscribe to the podcast. This will ensure that we can get even more episodes to you more often. You can check out all of our previous podcasts on thelonghaulpodcast.com where we also have post-match interviews and reports on all of this year's New York GA Finals. And of course, a great story on the near 150 Irish runners who completed the New York City Marathon last Sunday. You can also read about other Irish-American sports stories and other news items on this site. Slán and thanks for listening. Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? And when we got inside the house, the drinks were passed around. The liquor was so awful strong, my head went round.